Amen. If you will grab a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 99. Share it with a neighbor if they don't have one. Uh, We're in a series we're calling The Lord Reigns, looking at psalms that talk about the Lord reigning, that declare that He is reigning. We know that He reigns yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so that's kind of where we're landing in this Advent season, trusting in a God who, who is ruling and reigning and is totally sovereign. And so um, let's stand now and, and read that together this morning. This is Psalm 99. It says, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You've established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, uh, you are our advocate, our mediator, our ambassador before the Father. So we pray that you would hear our humble prayers this morning, confessing to you our deaf ears and our blind eyes. Help us to hear your word this morning, and that it would sink deeply into our hearts and rest there, uh, changing and molding us to look more and more like you. Uh, So I pray, Lord, that you would move me aside and help me simply to be a communicator of your gospel, that it would be clear, and that I would join my brothers and sisters in hearing from you today. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that aids us in this now, without whom we'd be terribly lost. Speak to us, Lord, and it's your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our, uh, our family was sick this week. Who, whose family wasn't sick this week? My goodness. Everybody seems to have something different too. But um, I got to be at home uh, with, uh, with my, my daughter for a few days. Uh, so we watched, some, we watched some Christmas movies. Uh, we went to bed early every night, but we still, we still got our movie times in. And, and we watched uh, Christmas Vacation. I had never seen it before. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Um, Savannah didn't think it was as funny, but um, but it was a great movie and and uh, highly high probability that we'll watch it in the years to come. Um, but I think I think uh, what makes us love Christmas movies so much is the way that they end. You know, without the roadblocks and all the bumps in the road um, in those movies, the ending wouldn't be as sweet. Um, and that's something we all long for, isn't it? Uh, we have this image of God, the Imago Dei in us that, that longs for everything to be right in the end, everything to work out. Um, so Christmas movies, they all do that, and especially the funny ones um, that I love so much, not so much the Hallmarks. They still have that same good, happy ending, but we, we long for our lives to look like this. Um, and so until, until, until then, though, until the end, we know Jesus is going to come back. Until then, we wrestle with the light of the gospel and the darkness of sin in our lives, right? It's this battle back and forth between when is it going to be, when is it going to be completely better and can I just enjoy what's good now or the darkness is so heavy, but we need to face that too. And so 
And I hope that this morning we get encouraged uh, that, that, that God rules and reigns, whether we're on a valley or we're in the valley or on top of the mountain today, God is reigning and he's ruling. And so I don't know where you, where you are when you came in here this morning. Maybe you feel like up until this point in the service, you have just been toned, uh, just completely toned out. And so I, I would just encourage you, let's, let's focus in on what God has to say this morning because, because he's in control and he deserves it. And so let's look again back at verse one. It says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Um, it's a little bit different than last week. Last week was Psalm 93. God, uh, he, the Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. Um, it's it's a, a nicer picture than the people's trembling. Um, but, the, but the testimony is true nonetheless, that he is, he is ruling and he's reigning. And so it was asked of us last week, who is ruling and reigning in your life? Who's ruling and reigning in your life? That's a fair question that each of us should be able to answer um, fairly quickly. Um, and if we're honest, we can say that it's God sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not God. And I like, I like honesty. I hope we can be honest with our Lord and honest with each other. But I don't want to just blanket statement, well, it's sin uh, that, that makes me not uh, trust in, in God sometimes. I want us to dive a little bit deeper as to why we, we struggle so often to keep the Lord at the center of our lives and in our hearts. He's the one who created all things and he proved his love to us on the cross right behind me. We see it every Sunday. We, we preach this gospel each and every Sunday. We should be doing it to ourselves, but yet he's, he's not the center of our lives so much of the time. And so I think this psalm points to a lot of attributes about God that we can be reminded of that help us reorient him back to where he belongs. That's where he desperately wants to be. That's where he's, he's purchased our lives uh, on the cross for us. And so, uh, though we struggle, he has immense amounts of grace for us. Um, so yes, our sin makes it difficult, but there's a, definitely a way to push back. There's definitely a way to fight against it. Uh, he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. So the people of Israel, they would have sung this psalm. And the struggle would have been lighter uh, because in singing and speaking the truth and the word of God, our hearts get changed, and there's power in simply saying the name of Jesus. There's, there's power in simply speaking and singing what is true. That's why we stand as we read his word. Um, so there's power in that. And these attributes of God that I hope we recognize, the first one uh, is that God is, is holy. God is holy. He's independently, infinitely, and immutably holy. He's the sum of all moral excellence. First John says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He is pure. He is, uh, in his divine nature, he is holy. In his gloriousness, he is completely holy. Um, to be holy is to be set apart, to be unopposed, to have no one against, no one can stand. He's above all things in power, perfection, and righteousness. Uh, one of my favorite songs that we sing here is Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, we sing it often, and it says it better than I ever could. One of the stanzas, Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power and love and purity. Uh, this psalm repeats the Lord is holy three times. I'd like to think that this holy, holy, holy comes from a little bit of this song, um, but it also is sung by cherubim and seraphim. What are those? <laughs> Uh, we read about them uh, in verse uh, 2, but they're angelic beings, and they sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
They sing it in Isaiah, they sing it in Revelation. From beginning to end, his creation is crying out his holiness. It's one of the best descriptions of who God is. My dad would sing this to me and my sister on our way to school. Before I was saved, I had no idea what uh, those words would truly mean. And every time we sing them here, I'm reminded that God is holy. And it's a lofty thought. It's, a, it's above our pay grade to fully understand what it means for God to be holy. Uh, we can't uh, fully comprehend uh, that, that fact. But again, it's one of the best descriptions of who God is. It's throughout his scripture, um, he claims that he himself is holy. And because God is holy, we ought to fear him. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. Um, so the very breath in our lungs, uh, that's common grace. The essentials in our lives, food and water, they come from him, right? Um, nothing can stop his will or his way. Nothing can get in between him and his purposes. God shuts the mouths of hungry lions. He destroys world-renowned armies in seconds. He burns up wicked cities. He takes a nap during a deadly storm. And he floods the entire planet. You know, this is our God. He's greatly to be feared, for he is that holy. He is extremely worthy of us to ascribe all glory and honor to him for his holiness. Verse 2 as, we, as I just said about the cherubim, it says, he sits enthroned upon the cherubim, and these, these were angelic beings, as I said, but they were also made as images on top of the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25. The Israelites, they had been freed from slavery in Egypt, if we can remember the Exodus. They had been given instructions by God. The Ten Commandments had been put into this Ark of the Covenant, and so they had priests that would atone for the sin and sprinkle blood on, on the Ark uh, one day a year in a place called the Holy of Holies behind a veil. And we know that veil gets torn one day. But in the Old Covenant, this place of Holy of Holies was, was reserved for that one person to be with God to make atonement for sin for people, both sin intentional and unintentional. That's how holy our God is. The things we don't even mean to do, the sin we don't even understand, like we don't mean to do, still deserves sacrifice and blood. And the penalty for entering this Holy of Holies was death. This is how serious our, our Lord takes, it, takes his sin. This is what makes him holy. And so once a year, a priest would go in there and make atonement for the sin. It was messy. It's brutal. It's ugly. And so now we don't do that because we know we have Christ. But this should cause us to tremble knowing that our sin is such an offense before our God. And because he's holy, he hates all sin. He hates something, and it's sin. That which conforms to his law, he loves. And that which is against his law, that is sin, and which he hates. So being born in this condition, as we read in Romans 5 this morning, though we were still sinners, while we were weak, enemies of God, and we know that no enemy of God stands a chance you know, this is, this, is, this is what God feels about towards sin. This is why he is holy. And for him to remain holy, he must necessarily punish sin. Arthur Pink, he writes that sin can no more exist without demanding his punishment than without requiring his hatred of it. God has often forgiven sinners, but he never forgives sin. And the sinner is only forgiven on the ground of another having been born his punishment. So, 
I, I, I don't always like to be serious. <laughs> I feel like when I get up here, I'm, I'm more serious and I'd like to be more lighthearted, but I, this is where this psalm led me this week. And I think that's where God's leading us today. And this topic, this topic can't be avoided. We like to discuss the happier things of God, him being robed in majesty, his peace, our shepherd with his sheep, his flock of turkeys, you know. <laughs> But his wrath, uh, his punishment for sin, they're uncomfortable, but they're good. They're very good. And that's why so many people are universalists, hoping that God's mercy will just override all his other attributes. That's not what the Bible says. It rejects a one-sided view of, of a God. He wouldn't be holy if he wasn't just. And thank goodness he is just. This is another attribute of our God, that he is judge. Verse 4, the king in his might loves justice. You've established equity. You've executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So God does, God does what is fair and right by everyone. He does what he is. He loves what is right and is fair. And it's his law, which he's given to us. And only in the Lord are holiness and power and justice perfectly united with each other. That's only in him. Kingdoms of this world try to obtain this level of, of righteousness, of perfection through government. We live in a country that has wonderful government. If we could admit it, we live in a, in a great nation with lots of privileges, yet we are far from perfect. We have many deep flaws. And there's many kingdoms of this world or in history that have gone completely the other direction, oppressing its own citizens, seeking own self-indulgence, opposite of, of justice. Everyone knows there's something fatally wrong with this world. We can walk down the street and ask anybody, um, is the world perfect? No one would say yes. And if history repeats itself, that's its mantra, that something is tragically wrong with the world and it's with humans. Yeah. And as the church today, we don't trust in these worldly governments. We don't trust in... And our human laws and human judges that can be corrupt or make mistakes and get it wrong, they're susceptible to, to sin and brokenness just like we are. No, we trust in the judge who never denies himself and never lets the guilty go free, not without forgiveness. And the world needs a holy and just God to rule and reign because sin never delivers. We talked about that last week too. Sin never delivers. So we fear the one who establishes equity and executes his justice. For in one sin, Adam and Eve were banished from Eden. For one sin, Moses would be excluded from the promised land. The earth would be flooded, armies of Pharaoh destroyed in the Red Sea, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament would be struck down for sin. God doesn't let evil have victory in this world. Even when there's darkness... He has the final word. He sees it all. He sees the injustices that go on each and every day. The ones that go on in your life that you don't tell anybody. He sees the injustice that you've experienced and how worldly justice fails us. And God is not absent. And his justice is to be feared. I love uh, the Narnia series. Mr. Beaver from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe says, uh, Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. So our God is not a tame lion. He doesn't sit idly by when sin and evil seem to be taking control. Evil, evil would mock him to his face and spit in his face and punch him 
and curse him, but one day through gritted teeth, evil's tongue will still confess that Jesus is Lord. A day is coming of fullness and redemption and glorification for those who are in Christ, and it will be a terrifying day for those who are not in him. Everything sad is going to come untrue, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. That's Tim Keller quoting J.R.R. Tolkien. Our Savior knows what he's doing, and he's the potter, we're the clay. Every, even after our last breath, we're precious in his sight. And so God is in control today. He rules and he reigns, and he's to be feared because he takes things seriously. His holiness is above us. We don't get to call what's good, good, and what's bad, bad. He does. And so we long for the day when he comes back. We, we put our hope in the day where, we, where our tongues get to confess that Jesus is Lord joyfully because he's worthy of our whole lives. He's holy and just. That's why he deserves us, to, get, to give us his whole life, our, our whole lives to him. And we fear him because he's unmatched, he's unopposed. He has wrath, but there's hope in Jesus Christ. So that's the truth. And let's now look at verse 6, where Moses and Aaron among his priests, Samuel also among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of the wrongdoings. This is a, a, a wonderful truth about God that he forgives. Right? This is, there's hope for sinners like you and me. Uh, Moses and Aaron and Samuel, they interceded for God's people. Moses being a leader of the Israelites, Aaron a priest, Samuel the last judge, right? They, they called upon the name of the Lord. This is a call to prayer for us today. And just as these men sought after the Lord, they kept his testimonies, that's his law, his statutes, so we are to live today. And this pillar of, cloud, uh, uh, this pillar of the cloud that's in there, that guided them in the wilderness, told them where to go. This was God answering their prayers, proving to them that he listens, that he does answer their prayers when they call to him. So he never fails. Not only is he not absent, but he never fails. We don't have a Moses or an Aaron today. We have someone greater, a greater mediator, a greater priest through Christ. And this is what he says about prayer. 1 John 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 Peter 3, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Jeremiah 33, Call to me and I will answer you. Isaiah 65, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Psalm 18, In my distress I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Romans 10, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ephesians 3, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Hebrews 4, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do we need any more proof that God answers our prayers, that he hears each and everything that we say to him? And because of Jesus, we have no doubt. Just as there's no pain and suffering and evil that goes on in this world that escapes him, neither does a prayer from one of his children. This is how we commune with him and enjoy him. He answers your prayers. I need to hear that this morning. He answers prayers, each and every one of them. It's perhaps not always the way we'd like for them to be answered. 
And last week it was said that our circumstances don't determine the power of God. A wonderful truth. And in the same way, prayers don't determine the faithfulness of God. A prayer is not too small if it's in the name of the Lord, in the name of our Lord and in his will. Your lack of prayer doesn't change God's faithfulness to you. He wants to hear your prayers. He will never not hear your prayers. It's not just successful when we get our desired outcome. We're not making wishes. Does it conform us more and more into the image of his son? That's how you know your prayers are working in your heart. This is just a small preview of our verse of the year for 2023. We're focused a lot on prayer. But I'll ask you again that the question at the beginning of this of sermon today, who is ruling and reigning in your life? Your prayer life could answer that question. And prayer takes consistency, takes it often, takes vulnerability, being honest with God. He knows it. He already knows what's on your heart. Let's be vulnerable with him. And then it takes time. It doesn't just happen. Nobody wakes up and falls accidentally into prayer. It takes diligence. Call upon the Lord who is holy and demands perfection, doing so in reverence and humility, knowing that the blood of Christ washes you clean. Forgiveness was bought with his precious blood, so come boldly to his throne. What a dichotomy that we fear the king of creation, we tremble before him, yet through Christ's righteousness we can boldly approach his throne. Let's worship him in low estate at his footstool, as it says here in verse 5, and also exalted highly with him on his high mountain, as it says in verse 9. This psalm, it, it balances our standing before our Father. We're at his feet, yet we get to sit at the table with his son. So today we get to make some choices. Tomorrow we'll have the same choices, but we're not going to worry about tomorrow. We're going to worry about today. Hopefully Jesus will come back. Our choices today are between trusting, listening, obeying, praying to the Lord, or not. We can't do both. There's no fence riding in the kingdom of God. Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, he walked directly beside Jesus. He walked right next to his brother and his friend, the king and holy judge of the universe. And he says this, in First Peter, and I think it directly applies to us today who are elect exiles in this world. This is not our home. We've been called by our loving Father to live in this way. And here's what he says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, con conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Uh, this is the grace of God. This is how we're called to live. Fear of the Lord is not love, it's reverence, it's trust. It's knowing that he is superior, superior, we are in inferior. We cannot stand before him with our sin. Yet by his grace and his sacrifice, we are drawn close to this holy God. Because he was at without blemish or spot. And so he's our example who put on flesh. 
when we look at a Christmas tree or the lights or a wreath or a present under the tree, may our minds go to him instead. He did not halfway come and dwell with us. He did not come in pride, but in tremendous humility. He demonstrated to us what true love is, what it looks like to pray, what it looks like to tell someone who doesn't know of saving grace, what that saving grace is and how to get it. It's not by their own merit. He, told, he showed us what it looks like to completely be with the Father, abandoning everything else that tries to rule and reign in his place. Jesus, who is God, stepped into his creation to glorify himself by saving sinners like you and me. So when we're saddened by the injustice of this world, when evil breaks our hearts and it seems like darkness gets away with it, when it gets away with the pain and the suffering it causes, we can look back at the life of Christ, who before he came to this earth knew the experience that lied before him, yet endured it anyway, and he himself, being the only one who didn't deserve the effects of sin, submitted himself to it, not, not only experiencing it from the moment of his birth, but it was imputed to him on the cross, the sin of the whole world, drinking the cup of wrath reserved for you and me, that we may not be judged by the awful dirty rags that we, that we carry because of our sin before a holy and just God of all creation, but by grace we're judged by the pure righteousness of the Son of God. So he's not just another person that we have a relationship with. He's the king over all, all things, and our posture towards him should be one of honor and reverence and tremendous humility, which he exemplified in his whole life and still does to this day at the right hand of the Father. His death accomplished salvation for us, but by his life, he showed us how to honor the king and the judge, the Holy One. So if you're in Christ, you're called to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, and thankfully, we have a perfect judge who's going to set all things right, who's both merciful and compassionate in his justice, and we have a mediator who hears our every prayer. May they not be just for ourselves, but for his kingdom and for each other. So as long as the Lord reigns, which is forever, we will find no greater joy than to worship him together. So live as you've been called, my brothers and sisters. He's good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, reminded this morning of, of our great need of a Savior. We are reminded of the cross uh, and of your birth. And we thank you that it's not up to us to be better or to be good enough or to be lovable. There's no amount of sin that could separate us from the love of God. And so we thank you for your, your sacrifice for replacing our sin with your righteousness, that we get to fear you. And in right posture, we get to acknowledge you as the Holy One. And now we get to live in that same holiness, called to something great, called to something beautiful and wonderful as the family of God. And so until you come back, may we trust in you, even when we're in the valley, that we would trust that you are working, that you hear our prayers, Lord, that you are with us and you will never leave us that the injustices and the wrongdoings in this world, that they don't escape you. Help us to lean on you, knowing that you rule and reign completely and wonderfully, and no one else could do it. No, one's, no one is like you, Lord.
Help us to experience your love this morning as we continue to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.